I want you to take your Bibles. If you've got them tonight, turn with me to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. We're going to talk tonight about visiting with God. Have you ever done that before? You need to. You were created to visit with God. And everybody needs to do that. Um, we're going to look in the book of Revelation tonight. Revelation is where the Father shows us things. Don't know what Revelation means? It means God reveals something to you. Uh, you may know it in your head, but you need Him to show it to you in your heart. Your, your life consists or exists because God shows you things. Your life is built on Revelation. And that great passage in Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus asked his followers, he said, what are people saying about me? Who do, you, who do people say that I am? And they began to tell him what people were saying about him around the area. He said, well, some say you're John the Baptist resurrected. Some say you're a prophet. Some say you're a great teacher. And then he asked this question, what do you say about me? And Simon answered and said, you are the savior of the world. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Now, now listen, Simon, the Bible says, was an ignorant, uneducated man. He'd never been to Bible school. How do you know that? And Jesus said this, blessed are you, Simon. No man taught you this. My father who is in heaven showed you this. He put it in your heart to believe this. And then Jesus made this tremendous statement. He said, on this rock, I will build my church. No, don't think church, think your life. You are the church. And Jesus said, what was the rock? It certainly wasn't Simon. You're not going to build life on Simon. Revelation. The ability to have God show you things from heaven. That's called revelation. What did Jesus say? I'm going to build your life on revelation. If you'll let God show you things, I'll give you the greatest life possible. Nobody can have eternal life unless God shows you how. He's got to touch your heart. And so the greatest need of my life, the greatest need of my life is to hear the voice of God. It's for him to show me things, either in his word or through prayer. And the greatest need of your life is to hear the voice of God, either through his word or through somebody speaking, maybe through a song. But God wants to show you things. Your life is built on him showing you things. Jesus said, on this rock, I, will be, I do things on revelation. So that's why we're in the book of Revelation. And I want you to get perhaps one of the greatest revelations of your life tonight. And we looked in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, the church age. And look in chapter 4, verse 1 with me. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking to me, saying, Come up here. And I told you this is an invitation. Now this was calling John up into the presence of God in what we would call heaven. But remember, this is a book written to you too. Well, I can't, I can't do this until one day I get a new body. What's he saying to me here? God has issued you an open invitation to come into his presence anytime you want to. He's calling you up into his presence. Now, let me show you an unusual verse. Turn back one page. You remember this is written by the, a guy named John, John and James. They were uh, two brothers. They were the dearest friends of Jesus, John's, John, James, and Simon. And uh, all the other apostles have been put to death. John is 90 years old now, and he's been exiled on this island because he's, he loves Jesus. He won't renounce Christ. And on this island, he's just, uh, one day Jesus appears to him. But I want you to look at something in Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island called Patmos, which is a prisoner island, 
for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. God spoke to him. Look at the words in verse 10. I was in the spirit. What does that mean in the spirit? Well, obviously, if he was in the spirit, you can be out of the spirit. But John had done something called, he, he said it was the a, a, a Sunday, which was the Lord's day. And he said, I was exiled. And he said, listen to what he said. He said, at the time I was in the spirit. I was in touch with the spirit realm. And that's when God spoke to me when I was in the spirit. You need to get in the spirit and you need to let God speak to you. Uh, we should be able to visit with God himself. This is all through scripture that people were created to visit with God. Let me go. All, I'll just take you all the way back to the very first page of the Bible. God created. We talked about this last week. He created the most beautiful earth, put a man and woman in that earth. What happened every evening? God would step down into that garden in the cool of the day and they would walk and talk with each other. And what would they do? They'd visit. These people would visit with God. All, all, follow all through scripture. The Bible said Noah walked with God. Enoch walked with God. God spoke with Abraham face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Uh, all through the Bible, people just visited with God. They could go talk to him. They could visit with him. Uh, of course, in the New Testament, same thing. Uh, all the way through the book of Revelation, people were able to visit with God. I mean, just they, would, they could get in the spirit and visit with God. They could come up here to where he was, you know, figuratively. Let me show you somebody visited with God. Turn with me to Mark chapter 1. I want you to see this. In Mark chapter 1, and by the way, everything I'm going to tell you tonight, we're going to talk about what's going on in our nation right now and what God has to say about it. And this is about hearing the voice of God and getting and visiting with God. In Mark chapter 1, I want you to look at the habit of Jesus every day of his life. Mark 1.35 says this. Now in the morning, having risen a long, Mark 1.35, in the morning, having risen a long time before daylight, Jesus went out and departed to a quiet, solitary place, and there he prayed. What did Jesus do every morning when he got up? He went to a secluded place, and what did he do? He visited with God. He visited with his Father, and they just talked. And he would, that was the habit of his life, was to visit with God and spend time with him. Now, when we visit with God, what's the Bible word for that? What's it, I know it's called fellowship. We fellowship with God. You know, when I used to be a Baptist preacher, we'd have fellowship meals. Potlucks, covered dish fellowship meals. All the ladies would bring dishes. We'd put them on a table. We'd eat and we'd fellowship. It wasn't for the food. You got food at home. We'd sit down. We'd sit at tables. We'd talk to each other and enjoy each other. And that was called a fellowship meal. Well, our, our word today would be hanging out. Us old people call it socializing. The Bible word is fellowship, but it simply means to meet with God. It means to visit with God, to fellowship with God. <clears throat> you were created to do that. You're, you're called into the fellowship of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, let me just quote it to you, says this. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his dear son. God has called you to spend time with Jesus and to visit with Jesus and to hear it. What did you say? My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. Matter of fact, the Bible says that the Bible is written to teach you how to visit with God. Let's take a minute and look at that. Turn me to 1 John chapter 1. Many people believe the Bible is written to learn about God, but the Bible itself says it's written to teach you how to visit with God. In 1 John chapter 1, Again, this is John writing, the same John that wrote the book of Revelation. And uh, this is so simple. 
that people stumble over. But I want you to read with me 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. The Bible says this. That which we have seen and heard, he's talking about Jesus. You can read that in the previous verses. We declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with who? With the Father and with Jesus. He said, I'm talking to y'all because we have fellowship with the Father. Verse 4, these things we write. What's he talking about? He wrote the Bible. The Bible is written to you that your joy might be full. So why does the Bible say it's written? To teach you how to visit with God. All right, now I want you to look in those two verses. Tell me what happens if a person learns how to visit with God. What does it say? That your joy might be full. There's a joy that comes if a person learns how to visit with God that's like nothing on this earth. And uh, the Bible says, what I'm talking to you about is, he said, listen, I, I visit with God. I have fellowship with God. And I'm writing this so you can start doing it, so you can experience the what? The joy of talking to God and visiting with God and experiencing Him. Now, let me point something out here. We've got to knock the religion off everything. You don't have to be super spiritual to visit with God. A lot of people think you have to be super spiritual to visit with God. I'm going to use the phraseology. No, you become, quote, spiritual by visiting with God. We got this thing completely backwards. You don't have to be spiritual. You you don't have to be religious. You don't have to be uh, perfect to visit with God. Now, my dad lives in Charlotte. He's in his 90s. He don't travel much anymore. And uh, if I wanted to go visit with my dad, I don't have to be a perfect son. I'm not. Ask him. I sure wasn't when I was young. I don't have to be smart to go. I just have to do two things if I want to visit with my dad. I have to want to go. And then I have to find out how to get there. I just have to get in my truck and, you know, Highway 49 to Albemarle Road, run over to his house. It's not hard. You don't have to be super spiritual to visit with God. You just have to want to, and then you have to find out how to do it. And that these things are written so you can hear the voice of God, so you can visit with Him. And uh, so important that we get that. I don't want to take a minute. I want to look in the Scripture, and I want to talk to you about what happens if a person learns to visit with God or have fellowship with God. What will happen to me if I learn how to walk? Some people call it walking with God. I just call it visiting. You know, if, if you say to me... Let's go eat one day this week. So we go eat lunch, say, tomorrow afternoon. Well, we're not walking together. We're eating together. And, we, we say, and I, I don't need the food. I got it at the house. We're getting together so we can enjoy each other. And we're going to talk. And I'm going to talk to you about life. We're going to laugh. We're going to tell each other things. That's called fellowship. What happens if I learn how to do that with God? What's the effect of learning how to do that? All right, the Bible mentions several things that happen if I learn how to fellowship with God I want you to look at me in John chapter 14 at this great promise. Um, I, I just don't understand why we don't do this in our... I know preachers don't even believe in this. I don't understand why we don't emphasize this anymore. I was created to fellowship with God. Now, I go to church. I try to obey the Bible. I treat people good, best I can. I have a job. I mow the grass. But I was created to, to fellowship with God. And I want you to look at something with me in the scripture. This is the great promise. If you know John 14, this is right before Jesus leaves the earth and goes back to heaven. And he's talking to him in John 14. He said, now I'm going to send somebody. I'm going to send my spirit and my spirit will help you. I can't be here anymore. I'm fixing to leave. But I'm going to send my spirit and he'll help you. And then Jesus makes this great promise for every person that follows him. It's in John chapter 14. Let's look in verse 19. A little while longer and the world will see me no more. So he's talking about when he's going to leave the earth. You'll see me. Because I live, you'll live also. My life will affect your life. 
At that day, you will know that I'm in the Father and you and me and I and you. Look at that. Jesus said, there's going to come a day when you're going to know I'm in you. And I don't just have to hear it either. And here's the great verse. Verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them is he who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. I'll make myself known to you. Now, manifest means step out from behind the curtain, reveal. Uh, Jesus said this, if, you, if you'll walk with me, he said, I'll walk up to you. I'll manifest. You'll know that it's me. So this is the great promise that after I leave, I'm going to send my spirit. He said, the world's never going to see me again. People, lost people in the world won't know me, but you'll know me. And you're going to know that I'm there. And you keep my commandments, I'll show you who I am. So Jesus promised me in that verse, he'd show himself to me. That we could visit, that he, he'd do that with me. And it's called manifestation. Now, if he does that, what happens to me? I don't, you have an experience. The word is experience. Now, I don't base my faith on experience. I base my faith on the word of God. I don't care whether I feel him or not. This word is true, period. But let me tell you something. I'm married whether I'm with my wife or not. I've been out of the country for weeks at a time. Was nowhere near, couldn't hug her, didn't enjoy her, but I was still married. I got the paper to prove it. My faith is based on God's word, but I would much rather be with her. But see, I base my faith on this word, but there are times when I can walk up to God and visit with him. And I can experience, and it's an experience. It's just as tangible as, say, like me and you went to lunch. Let me mention to you from the Bible several things that happened. Number one, you will feel the love of God. You'll experience it. I remember years ago hearing the testimony of, of uh, D.L. Moody when he said, one time the love of God so came over me in the spirit. He said, I felt like I was standing under a waterfall of liquid love. He said it was that strong. And I thought, man, I'm just a young fellow. I said, man. And then I found in Psalm 42 where David said, all your waves and your billows have gone over me. Talking about the presence of God. You should feel the love of God. Why don't you look at that with me in Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2. Now listen, you know how I know Jesus loves me? I don't have to feel a thing. You know how I know he loves me? Listen, here is the anchor of your soul for the rest of your life. It's in 1 John, it says this, by this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. The cross will always be the evidence of God's love for me, always. I don't have to feel a thing. Greater love has no man than this, than to lay down his life. Listen, the cross is the revelation of God's love for me, but more than just knowing it, you can feel his love. And I want you to see that in Philippians chapter 2. Verse 1, the scripture says this, Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, we don't use the word consolation. It's the Greek word that means encouragement. Could anybody in our nation right now use some encouragement? Is there not discouragement flooding the land right now? Hopelessness? Right, tell, me what you, tell me what's in Christ. Encouragement. If there's any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort of love... This is talking about when God's love touches you and it comforts you. Let me show you where you find it. If any what? Fellowship of the Spirit. If any affection and mercy. I want you to look at that verse. He said, if you'll learn how to visit with the Holy Spirit and have fellowship with the Holy Spirit, you'll be encouraged by Christ and you'll be comforted by the love of God. You say, well, is it, is it a word? No. Look, look at the last words. There is, an, there is an affection. There's an affection. You feel it. I mean, literally, the love of Christ comes over you and you, you just feel, you feel the love of God. Well, that's in his presence. And uh, that's one of the things that happened. Number two uh, is his encouragement. You've already seen that. Well, I'm telling you, 
I'm meeting people today that are so discouraged and they're talking about hanging in there, hanging in there. Well, you need to spend time with God. You need to visit with God and let him encourage you at heart level. Number three, in the presence of God, there's a peace that passes all understanding. And it's, it's, it's I don't know another way to say it. It's weird. I just don't know another way to say it. Um, I'm going to use this because the Bible uses it. I pray it don't offend you, but the Bible said it. I'm going to say it. The Bible said you don't need alcohol anymore because you got the Holy Spirit. Now, why did the Bible compare the Holy Spirit to alcohol? Ephesians 5, 18, look it up. Why did it compare it to that? Because you got people who got the weight of the world on them, problems, their marriage is in trouble, their kids are in trouble, they're, they're, running, they're out of money, but you set them down at the bar for about six drinks. They're not caring this world. I mean, they're wasted away in Margaritaville. I, I know this is a terrible illustration, but their problems didn't go away. Their worry went away. What do you think it means, the peace of God that passes all understanding? When you visit with God, there's a peace that comes over you. And, and you just, I don't have care in this world. You're not worried. You're not afraid of anything. It is a tangible, I mean, you, you feel it. Listen to what the Bible said in, in Philippians 4, 6, when he said, just make your request known to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will come over your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Could we use that in this day to day? The peace is God. It's the presence of God. And when it comes, you're just cocooned in the presence of God. There's a quietness about you and a peace. And you, it just, uh, Bill Gaither wrote, wrote a song time called Sing Your Blues Away. Bill, I love Bill. And he said, you just sing to you in the presence of God, then you ain't going to blues no more. Well, that, that's close. Number four, listen to this. There is a strength that comes when you visit with God. The Bible talks and it describes our day in Isaiah 40. It said this, young men shall faint and be weary. I'm seeing young people get discouraged and want to give up now. Young men will faint and be weary. Young people will fall. Listen to what that verse says. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings. This is Isaiah 40, 31. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like an eagle. They will run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. Obviously, that points to a supernatural strength and encouragement that comes from heaven. I've experienced this many times where you're just thinking, this ain't worth it no more. This ain't worth it. And you go visit with God and man, something just comes over and you think, I will pale with a water pistol. Just something just comes over and you just... Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew. It's an inner strength. It's not physical strength. My gosh, that was gone years ago. Look here. It's, just, it's an inner strength. It's the Holy Spirit just strengthens you on the inside. And you, you can run and not be weary. It's, just, it's the power of God that comes in His presence like that. Number five, I love this, inner healing. Inner healing. When you, get, when you visit with God, there's inner healing. Man, we're living in a day where people's hearts are so broken and scarred and damaged by crap in the past. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke 4, 18. He said, the Spirit of the Lord's upon me. He's anointed me to heal the brokenhearted. I meet people all the time who are so screwed up by their past. I'm not against counseling, but what you really need is to visit with God. And in His presence, He heals the broken heart. And all the bitterness and the pain and the anger of things that happened to you in the past, they just... 
He heals it. That's what he does. He just heals the broken heart. Well, that's visiting with him. Listen to this. And number six, freedom. Now, some of you, you love God, but you're harassed by temptation. The Bible calls them besetting sins. It's like the enemy just trying to wear your head out. When you visit with God, that stuff can't get near you. Now, I'm not, I can't live there every day of every hour. I, get, I battle all the time. But in the presence of God, listen, there's an old song that says this. There is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God, a place where sin cannot molest near to the heart of God. When you, you get close to God, you get in His presence or you visit with Him, it's like nothing can tempt you. It's just like you just go, man. So, and we need those respite areas. Uh, we need that. Let me mention one more here. Wisdom. Boy, we're a land that's sorely lacking in wisdom today. People don't know. We're, we're as confused as a termite and yo-yo in this land today. People don't know which ends up. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to make decisions. Let me make an announcement. God is real smart. His wisdom is unsearchable. You know what that means? He's got an answer for everything. You ever been in a place where you just did not know what to do? He never gets there. He always knows what to do. Where do you get those answers? When you visit with him. You get a, I showed you, I think it was a week ago, Acts 13, 2, where it said, as they ministered to the Lord, the Holy Spirit spoke and said, do this right here. How many times have I been visiting with God and I wasn't even looking for an answer and he'll speak something to me about a situation I'm going through, maybe in my church or something, and I'll just go, I'd have never thought of that. I don't know if he ever says duh or not, but it would be a good place right there for him to say, that's why I'm here. I mean, I've had some of the greatest answers on what to do to help people and, and handle my own situations, but it didn't come from thinking. It came from God. And in His presence, there's a, there's a wisdom there. Listen to this. John 14, 26 says this. When the Holy Spirit has come, He will put into your mind what I want to say to you. And you, you get in God's presence. He'll just, things will just come in your mind. You'll say, there's the answer right there. Man, this is great. Well, all this comes by doing what? Visiting with God. Come up here and, and getting to visit with God. And uh, that's why I desperately, more than I want anything else, I want every person to know how to get with God and how to visit with Him and have fellowship with Him. Now, I want to shift gears a minute. Let me talk about how you do it. There is a way to do it. There is a way not to do it. But I want to talk to you about how to say, like I just said, okay, I want, to, I want me and God to visit. I read, a, I read a book, one of the greatest preachers ever, and he, he said, I'd heard about these people hearing the voice of God and, and God speaking to them and God visiting with them. And he said, so I decided I was going to do it. And this is embarrassing. He's one of the great preachers in the nation. Of course, it's an old book. And uh, he said, so the next day I went up on a little hill in the mountains there where I live and I sat down on a rock and I waited for hours. He said, it was the boringest time I ever spent. I didn't hear nothing but a crow. <laughs> That's not how you do it, Doc. Bless his dear heart. Maybe he didn't own a Bible. I don't know. How do you do it? Number one, <clears throat> you have to be still. You have to be still. Psalm 46.10 says this, Be still and know that I am God. Let me say it this way. Be still and become aware of me. Because we go about our daily lives, we're all, our minds are all on uh, work and family and duties and news and weather. He said, you got to be still to know that I'm God. Now, do you remember we read in Mark 135, where it said Jesus rose early in the morning, went to a what? A quiet, solitary place 
where he could get alone and get quiet. Some people call it a quiet time. When you get excited, it's not really a quiet time, but you do need a quiet place. And, and listen, listen to what Jesus said in Mark and uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. He said this, go into your closet and close your door and talk to your father who's in secret. When I don't close the door so nobody else can get in, I close the door to keep the world out and to, keep the, and to get quiet. I, you know, our, our minds run wide open. You ever been around somebody, their mind just whirls all the time. That's how we live. You got to get your mind quiet. Number one, you got to get in a quiet place. You, you, can't, uh, you can't visit with God with the TV blaring and people screaming and sirens going. And we're too easily distracted. That's one of the reasons people fast. Fasting's not to impress him. He, he's only impressed with the cross. Fasting is to quiet us down on the inside. And you get in a quiet place, you go get quiet, and you, you just need to sit there and be still for a minute. Still your mind. Do you remember when Elijah was so screwed up he wanted to die? First Kings 9, he just wanted to die. And there's all this racket. There was a storm and all this mess. And the Bible said God wasn't in all that racket and the storm and the fire, but said all that stuff stopped. And then a still small voice. He had to get all the racket out of his head before he could hear the voice of God. So you have to be still. You have to get quiet. Now, you know, it's good to have a place to just go get quiet for a little bit and sit still for a minute and acclimate. You've got to turn off this culture to turn on the Spirit, to get in the Spirit. Number two, don't sit there and wait like that preacher did and listen to a crow. You have to initiate it. You have to initiate it. Listen to what the Bible said in the book of James. Draw close to God. He'll draw close to you. Who goes first? You do. You have to initiate it. Turn with me to Psalm 100. You draw him close to him the same way every time. Psalm 100 is just a... I marvel at this psalm. First time I ever read it, I, I just thought, who put this in the Bible? It can't be right. I just couldn't believe it was in the Bible. I'm serious. I was stunned because my religious training didn't tolerate this stuff because it talked about joyful shouting and serving the Lord with gladness. And I thought, Word, what is this? Because I've never been taught that. But dear ones, this is so elementary. I want you to look with me in Psalm 100, verse 4. Enter. What's the word enter mean? That's where you start. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Uh, let's, read, let's read verse uh, 2 also. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his what? His presence. Was singing. So right, here you got a picture of, of his court. That's where he's at. There's a gate outside the court. How do I get to where he is? I have to enter that gate to get where he is. I have to come into his court. I have to draw up to his presence. How do you do it? With thanksgiving and praise and gratitude. And uh, a lot of people make the mistake of like when they want to pray, they just start right in telling God, here's my problems and here's what I want to ask you to do. That's not how you, you don't enter that way. That's not how you get there. You, you always have to draw close to him with gratitude, thanksgiving and praise. You say, well, I got a lot on my mind. Get it off. We, we got to change our atmosphere and draw close to him. And the Bible says you enter. Uh, and a lot of times if you, need, if you struggle with this, you can do it. You can just take the Psalms and get quiet and just sit quietly and just meditate. You know what meditate means? Read slow and reflect. And just read slow. Just sit, get quiet and just read. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green. And you just find one of those great Psalms and you just quietly reflect on that. 
And then turn your heart toward heaven and begin to say, I want to thank you and praise you for the cross. Thank you for the blood that has washed my sins away. Thank you that I'm forgiven. Thank you that I'm redeemed. Thank you that you loved me when I was still a sinner. Thank you for my family. Thank you for hope. Thank you for meeting our needs. Thank you for protecting us. And you, instead of thinking your way, you thank your way. You enter his gates with thanksgiving and you begin to thank him and praise him and worship him. And let me tell you what's going to happen. The atmosphere will change. He will manifest. Listen, God is drawn to gratitude. The Holy Spirit is drawn. You can call it worship if you want to, but it's, it's thanksgiving and prayer. He's drawn to it. And you'll, you know, you'll just be sitting there and all of a sudden you will become aware. That's him right there. You'll sense the presence of God draw close to you. Because see, you draw close to God with thanksgiving. What does it say? He'll draw close to you. And you'll become aware of his presence. And you'll just say, well, that's him right there. You, know, you, can, you can, I hate, people don't like for you to use the word feel, but I didn't go to seminary. You'll begin to feel God draw close to you. What, can, what else can it mean come before his presence? You've got to be aware of his presence. Well, you, you just do that by going where he is, and you begin to do that, and the atmosphere begins to change, and he manifests himself to you. And you, let me tell you something. Like when I first went out with my sweetheart, and you first went out with your sweetheart, you have to learn how to communicate with each other. A little awkward to start with, especially if you're trying to impress them. You don't need to impress God. Get the religion out of your head. You don't need to impress God. He is impressed with his son. And his son's done everything you need. You you begin to draw close to him. And then all of a sudden you become aware of the presence of God. And then you begin to learn to let that spirit just spend time with you. And speak to you and show you things. And I'm I'm at the point now, maybe some of you are, where I I can sit there with the Bible and just talk to him. And just enjoy him, have the best time singing in your heart. And he'll say, let me show you something. And you turn and you'll go, that's so good. He'll say, now turn back over here. And you turn back over here. I didn't learn that in a day or two. Nobody ever taught me this when I was young. I thought you just, prayer to me was just holler your needs and the louder the better. God, you know, we need help now. Fellowship. We need to learn to visit with God. And in that time, let me tell you, something happens to you. And uh, you learn to visit with him. But let me tell you something. Once we get to that place where we enjoy him and you can, you can do this, then you want to pray in the spirit. Ephesians 6, 18 says this, praying with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. You ever felt like you was shooting blackbirds in the dark, a blind man firing off at them? And the Holy Spirit, you can become sensitive. He'll tell you exactly what to pray for. You'll have this burden to pray for your son or your family or your pastor your church and all of us you'll be praying and all of a sudden that it'll just quit and you'll just go did you leave me he'll say no we're done move over here now and the bible said as many as are what led of the spirit and he'll teach you how to have how to fellowship with him and visit and pray because i want to make an announcement we know not how to pray as we ought but the spirit helps us and he makes intercession with groanings too deep for words and then that great verse is next that's when all things work together for good to those who love God. But we got to let him pray, help us pray. And uh, you, you learn how to do this. Listen, you got to learn how to do it. Now, let me shift gears for a minute here. What is the effect of visiting with God? You learn how to visit with God. It has an effect on people. It just has an effect on people. And two things happen if we learn how to visit with God. And this is where I want to shoot religion again. You are changed when you visit with him. You know, you take somebody who's got a strong personality. 
and you spend a lot of time with it, with them, without you even trying, they'll rub off on you. You'll pick up their accent. You'll pick up their mannerisms. You'll, you'll start thinking like they think. You hang around somebody with a strong personality long enough, they'll get on you. Jesus Christ is the strongest personality in the universe. You can't hang around him and him not have an effect on you and him not get on you. Now I want to show, I'm going to, let me give you one of the greatest reliefs you've ever seen in your life. Turn me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Would that somebody had told me this years ago. I mean, when I was a young man. See, I was taught that Jesus saves you and then you've got to be a good Christian. You've got to live it. Well, that's not right. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, the Bible is very clear that, you know, if I give my life to Christ, the Bible said that we want to begin to follow Jesus and we want to live the Christian life. Y'all have heard that? Live the Christian life, whatever that means to different people. It's not right. The scripture teaches you and I this. Religion says you change your life by self-effort. That's not scriptural. I want you to look with me in 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all, and it's talking about verse 17, talking about the Spirit of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. That's, the language is tough. Don't think mirror like the one on your bureau. A mirror back then was, was, was brass. And you, got a dis, you could see your figure, you could see your face, but it was a little distorted. You got it. I mean, you, like frosted glass. You can see your reflection, but it's not perfect. That's what it means. But what does it say we're supposed to do? We're supposed to see Jesus. And you behold the beauty of Jesus. And as you spend time with Jesus, seeing his beauty, what happens to you? Beholding as in a mirror the beauty of the glory of the Lord are being changed into the same image. How, how does God change people's lives? By self-effort. No. By seeing Jesus. You get your face in front of Jesus and you are changed by visiting with him. Self-effort always brings what? Condemnation. I ask people, you're a Christian. Yeah, but I'm not as good as I should be. You don't know Jesus. Why are you condemned? You're not supposed to change yourself anyway. Who's the Bible say right here? Who's the agent of change in my life? Let's read it. <clears throat> we are changed into the same image from glory to glory. Does that tell me God's not in a hurry? Little bit by little bit. Who does it? By the Spirit of the Lord. When I visit with God, the Holy Spirit changes me into the image of Jesus. And the only thing I have to do is just spend time with Him. Can you see that we behold the beauty of the Lord are being changed into the same image of Jesus one degree at a time, but the Holy Spirit's doing it, not me. I mean, you just hang around people, you'll become like them. You hang around Jesus, you become like them. The way you become Christ-like is not to try. It's to visit with God. As you visit with God, you're changed. My wife went on a trip out of the country some time ago, and I told her, I said, don't come back talking like them. You come back talking normal like we do. <laughs> Bring that accent back over here. Then as you hang around God, you become like him and you don't have to put out any effort. Isn't this better than do the best you can and be condemned because you ain't doing no better? What do you think it means abide in me and I in you? And when you learn to visit with God, you're just, you're just changed by him. How many times, I hate to admit my sins to y'all, but we've been together long enough now. In my line of work, you have problems. I have a very problematic job. I don't know about you. I have a very problematic job. A lot of problems to deal with all the time. And I, I'll confess my sin to you. Sometimes when the problems come up, I get slightly aggravated. I'm, I, don't, I don't hit people anymore. 
I don't fly into a cussing fit, but I'll just think to myself, I declare, I declare, I declare. Well, I say I swear. I get slightly aggravated at times, and I'll think, now what am I going to do about this? I declare, I swear. And uh, I'll just, I've learned, just leave it alone. And the next morning when I go meet with God, while we're meeting, all of a sudden something happens in here. And I am completely changed. I'm not aggravated anymore. And there's a tenderness toward the situation. I didn't try to do that. It's just your face in front of his does that. We're, we're changed in the presence of God, not by self-effort. You say, well, you shouldn't try to be upset. The harder I try, the matter I get. Knock it off, Doc. Only in his presence are we changed. And that, this, is the good, this is the good news. You know, the gospel was called good news. You need to try to do better. That might be good advice, but that's not good news. Get in God's presence and let him change. That's good news. And not only that, listen to what the Bible said about this. Not only will you be changed, you'll see God begin to do things through you that you couldn't do. Turn me to John 15. We're, we're close enough there. In John 15... There, I don't know if you know this or not, but in Christian circles among leaders, there's this great angst going on right now because the churches aren't doing so good and they're trying to figure out what to do to make them do better. What are you going to do? You're not God. Well, John 15 is that wonderful passage where Jesus said this. It's the, it's the glorious passage where he said, it's like a vineyard. And we're going to look at two verses here. In verse 4, he said this, Abide in me and I in you. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself. You can't do anything apart from God. You can't help people. Now there's some, now listen to me. There's some things we could do. I could say, look, we need to build a habitat house. We could get up the money and do it without God. And there's nothing wrong with that. We, we wrote a check this week to help the people in Lebanon. I don't know if we had his permission or not, but we had the money and they had the need. You can do that because Jesus said you can help the poor at any time. But dearest, what, what does he mean apart from me? You can't do the great things that only God can do. Now, listen, I can, I can send money to help people that are suffering. I can build a habitat house. We can do different things. I cannot change my children's hearts. Who's the only one can do that? Only God can change the human heart. I can't even change my own heart. But he said this in verse 4. He said, abide in me and I in you. The branch can't bear fruit of itself, lest it abides in the vine. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. And your fruit is what God can do. Activity is what people can do. He said, listen, you, you just visit with God. You walk with God. And you'll see things happen in your life that there's no way you could have done it. You'll see things happen in your family. Uh, we do things here as a church. I do things as a pastor. And I get notes and calls and emails all the time of things that only God could have done that we weren't even trying to do here. And I just go, I'm like Gomer Powell. Golly. I mean, just, it's just amazing at what the Lord does. But you don't do it because you try. What does the Bible say? Jesus said, look at these words, abide in me. What does that mean? Spend time with me. Well, come close to me. Fellowship with me. Just as surely as the grapes will grow on the branch, if it's touching the vine, God will do things through your life if you'll touch him. It's just, this is so simple. I don't know why we make this stuff so complicated. And, uh, but that's the effect. See, you learn to visit with God. You'll be changed without effort. And this is fun. And then you begin to see God do things. All right, number four. <clears throat> can people see when people have been with God? What do you think? You think people can tell? 
Let me show you one of the coolest verses in the Bible. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 34. Here's what I want to see happen with every one of you. Exodus chapter 34. You, you may be familiar with this. It's pretty wild here. Do you remember the guy named Moses? All right, Moses was the leader of a, a group of people. He's still considered the world's greatest leader. And God spoke to him one day and he said, you, you come up on this mountain in my presence. And Moses told the people, y'all wait right here. He said, I'm going to go up and visit with God on that mountain. Y'all remember that? Wasn't it? Do you remember the name of the mountain? Sinai. He said, you come up on this mountain. I mean, you're going to visit. And he got up there and I think they had such a good time. Him and God, he stayed up there 40 days. They just stayed up there and visited with each other. And of course, you remember what happened while he was up there? That's when he gave him the commandments, wrote them out on stone. You know, he broke the first set because he came down there dancing. He got mad. So he had to go back up there. And he spent 40 days in the presence of God. Because Moses, the people said, feed us. Moses said, what? Show me your face. I want to see your face. And so he goes up on this mountain and he lives in God's presence for 40 days. And here he is in this passage coming back down the mountain. Watch what happened to him. Exodus 34, 29, 29. Now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with God. So Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses. Behold, the skin of his face shone. They're afraid to come close to him. He goes up there and spends that time with God. He comes back down that mountain and he didn't know it, but he, people could see the glow of God on him. And they, they were sort of scared to come near him. He didn't know it was there. He said, I don't, I don't want to stand out in a crowd like a, come on guys. People that spend time with God, you can see it. And 2 Corinthians 3 brings this same passage back up. And to, I, I can spot people all the time that just walk with God. You just, there's a, the sweetness of God's on them. Now, on occasion, I miss it. I think I told you about asking a girl in a restaurant not long ago. Uh, sometimes she was, and I said, you, you have got to love Jesus. And she said, no, I don't even believe in him. She was so Christ-like. And I said, well, you're more like him than most Christians. I know all you need to do is sign up. We can, we can get you in. And I mistook her for somebody that knew God. But there was people that are mad and crabby and religious and bring coming down on people. You ain't been with God. I'm not going to tell you who I think you've been with, but it ain't been God. I'm so old. Back when me and Katie were in school, we were dating and they had what they called dorm mamas. Y'all don't remember this. This is back when boys and girls had separate dorms. We went to Baptist College. Of course, we had separate dorms. And uh, they had dorm mamas. These were 90-year-old women that ate gunpowder. And they guarded the women's dorms. And man, they, nothing they loved to do more than hate young men. I, th I think they were just mad at men. And you know, they were there to sit in the lobby and make sure you didn't hold hands. And they were just mean. And uh, I, I think I tried to steal a kiss one day. And that woman caught me by the shirt. She said, I believe the devil's got hold of you. And I said, I was thinking the same thing myself. Right now. <laughs> Listen. You don't need to be religious. You need to be like Jesus. And people that go up on, you can call it, quote, go up on the mount, spend time with God. People just know it. They just see that you've been there with him. Um, as we saw in 2 Corinthians, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, listen to this. Simon uh, and John, now they were ignorant, uneducated men. The Bible calls them that. And they got busted for preaching one time and they brought him before the tribunal. And uh, Simon just said, you're not going to stop me from preaching. I want you to listen to what Acts 4.13 says. When they saw the boldness of Simon and John and knew that they were ignorant, untrained men, they realized that they had been with Jesus. 
People recognize when you've been with Jesus, there's just, a, there's just something about it. You quit trying to be a Christian and get with Christ. And what you're trying to do will be there just by your fellowship, just by enjoying Him. Quit grunting and start singing. That's good. Quit grunting and start singing. I love, let me quit by mentioning this, the criticism that comes to people who seek God. Now listen to me. Most of us pray for our needs. We pray for our children. We pray for our preacher. Who does God reward? Listen to this. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. He who comes to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of those who seek money. No. Miracles. Those who seek him. God rewards people who, want to, who look for him, who pursue him. All right, now there's a criticism of people that seek God, and this is the great message for our generation. I want you to look with me in Luke chapter 10. People are falling apart about what's going on in the land these days. Here's the word of God on it. Luke chapter 10. This is hilarious. I need to, I'm going to copy this page and mail it to all my preacher friends and say, read this. Read this and relax, doc. Read it and relax. I remember everything's in the Bible to speak to me and you. He's, many a time I've been going through life and the Holy Spirit will just say, go over there and look at that. And he'll point me to this because apparently I'm out of bounds somewhere. But he always helps you. So encouraging. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. It happened as they went that Jesus, Luke 10, 38. Jesus is traveling. He entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary. Y'all remember them? Martha and Mary. I think this was Jesus' favorite place to hang out. All through the gospels, he went to this house over and over. They had a brother. Do you remember him? name was Lazarus, the one that Jesus raised from the dead. But there was just something about this house. Jesus always loved to go there and eat with them and just spend time with them. So this is another time where he's close by. So he goes by this house of these common people. Verse 39, she had a sister called Mary who did what? Sat at Jesus' feet and just listened to him. What'd she do? She just sat down in front of Jesus. And she just wanted to listen to see if he'd say something to her. And she just wanted to be where Jesus was. She's got in his presence. Now Martha, on the other hand, was a good woman. All right, verse 40, Martha was distracted with much serving. What's Martha doing? She's serving God. I mean, she's probably, I think she's probably cooking a meal. It doesn't say that, but you could presume she's cooking dinner for him. And she's running around helter-skelter getting dinner ready because, you know, it's important to serve the Lord. Okay, one amen out of that. So she's serving the Lord and she's doing what she's supposed to do. And Mary just sits down right in front of you, just sits there. Well, that aggravate me too. And uh, Martha was distracted, verse 4, the much servant. She approached the Lord and said, Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to get up and help me. Be careful talking to him like that. Is she mad? What's she mad about? Now she's critical of her sister because she wants her sister to get up and serve God and all her sister wants to just sit in the presence of God. He just, she just, he just, Mary just wants to sit there and listen to what he's got to say. You say, well, Mary should get up. It's not fair. Amen. 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 All right. Watch this. Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. What's a believer doing being worried and troubled about things? See, she, she comes to God and she tells him, tell her what to do. I'm mad about this. And instead of doing what, instead of answering her prayer, he just says, you sure are tore up. Why are you worried and troubled about so much stuff? 
Listen to me. If you don't learn how to get with God in this generation, you're not going to believe God cares about you. What's the first thing she said? You don't care about what's going on in my life. How many believers are wondering if God cares? If you don't listen to him, you're not going to think he cares about you. Number two, you're going to become critical. And you're going to start criticizing other people and criticizing what's going on around you, just like she did her sister. <laughs> and then number three, you're going to start telling God how to run the universe. Well, I tell you who needs to get elected. I tell you who needs to get elected in November. He's got all that handled. I tell you what them young people ought to do. You're so old, you don't know what young is anymore. <laughs> then you want to tell God how to run the universe. And then you end up what? Worried and upset and troubled. That is no way to live. Not believing God cares about you. Mad at everybody. Worried about everything. And trying to get God to do what you want. Yes, she was a believer, but she was a mess, wasn't she? Sort of reminds you of the American church, doesn't it? Watch this. It wasn't that he didn't love her. He's trying to help her. He said, <laughs> and said, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things. Now listen, I want you to watch what Jesus says to you in verse 42. One thing is needed. Dear ones, if God Almighty says in his word, one thing is needed, what's that say to me? What's the most important thing I do? Serve God and run around. He said, one thing is needed, and Mary has done what? chose it she's chosen the good thing the one thing that will not be taken away from her what the bible tells me is the most important thing i do right there it's not to serve the lord it's not to be telling him how to run the universe it's not to be upset it is to sit down in the presence of god and let him speak to me most important thing you'll do is visit with god she just sat there and visited with him and you notice that uh he said can you not see that the reason people are so upset and bothered today is not because of the circumstances it's because believers are not connecting with God. Did you notice Mary wasn't the least bit bothered? Did you notice Mary didn't even respond when her sister criticized her? You're not going to fuss and crab when you're sitting there listening to Jesus. The, the, being in the presence of God. So what do you think is going to happen in the nation? I have no idea, but I know this. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to put my face in front of his. And he's big enough to handle everything up there and everything down here too. I'm not going to live worried and troubled when I can get with God. And let him help me. This is that great passage. I've always loved this passage. Which anytime I see people say, are you a Martha Christian or a Mary Christian? I'm both. I have times where I act like Martha. And then the Holy Spirit will say. <clears throat> you know, I've heard people say the Lord spoke to me and said, I'll say I thought he don't talk to me like that. To me, he just goes. <clears throat> and I know he's and he always points me right back here and says who you look like right now. Do you look more like Martha or do you look more like Mary? He said, why don't you choose the one thing that Jesus says, the most important thing you can do. Visit with God. Worship God. Get in his presence. Let him wash this mess off of you. Now, by the way, how long does it, how long, uh, how can I say this? I'm trying to be theologically correct because somebody might be watching. How, how long does this last? Like when you get in the presence of God and his quietness and his peace, how long does it last? God, this is going to sound so bad. I'm sorry if you're out there, doctor. I'm about as long as getting drunk does. I'm sorry. I don't know the way to say it. Ephesians 5.18 says, don't be drunk with wine, be filled with the Spirit. And let, let me quote it to you in the original language. Don't be drunk with wine, but be constantly being filled with the Spirit over and over. Well, you know, you, you can get plumb I don't know why I'm talking about this tonight. You, know, you can get plum buzz tonight. Well, tomorrow you, you, it ain't going to help you a bit. You got to drink more. 
Y'all some of y'all know that. Well, here's the deal. I, God can touch me, but it ain't going to last for 30 years. That's why it says keep being filled. That's why it's called daily bread. So you got to have him, you just need his touch in your life over and over and over and learn how to do that. I, I just don't understand why believers are so troubled. Let me, let me, uh, I don't know if you ever heard what we're talking about tonight or not, but let me point back. I'm going to tell you one more thing. Let me point back to something here. What I'm talking about tonight was Christianity years ago. This is what it was years ago. Today it's learning techniques of how to live and, you know, lights and different. Years ago it was a personal relationship with Jesus. And you spent time with him. And, and one of the great songs that points that out from about 60 years ago goes like this. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God, what? Manifests, he discloses it, he comes up to me. He walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I'm his own. And the joy we share while we tarry there. Believers have got to go back to meeting God in the garden. And, and, and learn how to do it. And set aside the time and begin to... Listen to what the Bible says. Seek my face. Well, that, that doesn't mean you pray for your kids. I, I do pray for my kids. I pray for y'all. I pray for finances. I pray for, I'm praying for Israel to heal this corona thing. I'm praying for all that stuff. But seek my face is not my hand. We've got to go back to seeking his face till we find him. Let me quit by pointing some out here. I love to visit with God. I mean, if you think God would want to visit with you. You say, I, I don't know about that, Brother Brian. Listen to me. Where are we going to find out? So I just can't imagine God wanting to talk to me or spend time with me. Well, where are we going to find out? All right, you can go all the way back. I'm going to give you a couple of verses. In Genesis, the Bible said God built a beautiful garden, put man and woman in the garden, walked down every evening, they talked together. Genesis 3 is when they sinned. I want you to listen to verse 8. And Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid themselves from God among the trees of the garden. Verse 9, and God called out to them and said, where are you? What's that right there? How many of you know he doesn't ask where you are for information's sake? He says, we're missing our time together. How come you didn't come meet me tonight? Why didn't you come out here and spend time with me tonight? The highlight of their day was to meet with God in the garden. Guess what the highlight of his day was? Where are you? And the Bible is a book of God crying out to man saying, where are you? Why will you not come walk with me anymore and talk to me? One of the wildest verses I ever saw in the Bible, do you remember the last time Jesus had dinner with his people? We call it the Last Supper. He had Passover with them. They prepared the room and they went in there. Luke 22 said they sat down. They prepared the Passover supper and Jesus sat down. I want you to listen to what he said. Luke 22, 15. I have greatly desired to eat this dinner with you before I die. Why would God greatly desire to eat dinner with a bunch of common rednecks? This is the heart of God. He, he didn't create me to work for him. He can handle it himself. He created me to spend time with him and to visit with him. And the heart of God wants to visit with people. I, I don't understand what people miss about the great picture in Luke chapter 15. You remember the prodigal son? He spent his daddy's money on hookers. All of it. He comes home with his head down. The father gets excited. He said, put the best clothes we got on him. Put a ring on his hand. Prepare the barbecue. Let us eat and be glad. What is that right there? 
That's the heart of God saying, I don't care how bad you've done. If you just come back to me, I don't want to put you out in the fields. I want you to sit down and eat with me. I want us to be together. I want us to enjoy each other. And in America, Christianity has become a lifestyle, doing things, being involved in church work, doing good things. But at the heart of it is a personal relationship where you visit with God. Let me quit by pointing this out. We, uh, my son's home this week. He's visiting from, he lives down at the coast. Lucky as he is. He lives down at the coast. So he's visiting this week. So I called uh, my sweetheart last night, which is my wife. I called her. I said, uh, <clears throat> let's, let's get them all together and eat tonight. She said, well, you try to get them together. And sure enough, we, we're very lucky we get all our kids together. Now, and all the in-laws and the outlaws and all this stuff, we get them all together. And so I called, said, y'all meet me such and such a time. And so we met over there and all three of my kids were there and two of the in-laws, one wasn't there. And my sweetheart's there. And uh, I told him, said, I'll even pay for it. Pretty good, right? I might have been paying for years. I don't know why I'd quit now. I said, I'll even pay for it. And we, listen, we sat at the table. I just, I had the best time just visiting with them. I didn't preach to them. They ain't listening no more to that. I mean, the twins ain't hearing that. I didn't fuss at them. I didn't ask them if they was behaving. We just enjoyed each other. That is a father's heart. To, it's called fellowship. Father's heart to enjoy his children. You were created to enjoy God. That's what, you, what you're put here for. So I want you to practice. I'll never forget the first time I saw this in Scripture. I'm a preacher and I, I, you know, I, pr- I prayed. Of course preachers pray. Of course we do. I prayed like I'd been taught to pray. You just rear back and holler off everything you know and hope something hits. Ask them to bless Aunt Fanny and Susie and she, you know, take care of the rheumatoid and get the church straightened out and make the diggings be nice to me. You just, that's prayer. And then I saw in the Bible where, do you have to always be asking me for something? Why can't you just come visit with me? I said, I'm going to learn how to do this. A little awkward to start with, but I, fe- I learned. You'd be, you'd be surprised. If my youngest were to call me and say, could we get together for dinner? We'll pay for it. Well, after you pour water on me and get me back up, I'd say, you just tell me where to be. Of course I'll be there. I'd love to come eat with you. I enjoy it. Then you were created by God to fellowship with him. I'm going to quit by quoting the Westminster Catechism again. It's just a saying that churches use. A lot of churches use this to start. I think it's the greatest. It captures life in one sentence, and it says this. The chief aim of man is to glorify God. We were created to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. Well, you don't have to wait to get to heaven to enjoy Him. Go ahead and start now. You just, you just practice now and get you a Bible, get quiet. If you, if you like worship music to play quietly, get you some quiet place and say, I'm here. I'm here. Brother Brian was, told me you'd talk to him and you'd visit with him, so I'm here. Not sure what to do next, but I'm here. I'm, I'm serious. There but one way to learn. And you say, let's say he did say to start thanking you. And you enter his gates. You start with thanksgiving. And he so wants to visit with you, he'll teach you what to do if you'll just hang around there. It's wonderful. All right, let's talk to him. Lord Jesus, we love you. I've had the best time talking about you tonight. We get to talk to you now. Thank you for the grace of God. I pray for every person here, that a great revelation as to why they are on this planet. We weren't put here to work for you, although I do enjoy working with you. We have responsibilities. We have duties you've given us. We've got families. We've got ministry. But we were created like Mary to sit down and be in your presence and listen to you. And your word says that our lives depend on revelation, you showing us things. You build your church, our lives, on revelation. I pray for every person in this room, a hunger and a thirst to say, what would it be like if God walked up to me, if he drew close to me, if I drew close, if we could draw close to each other, 
I want people to experience that. And I just pray in Jesus' name, you put the hunger in people's hearts, draw them to yourself, and I give you all the praise and glory. We want to be able to say like King David, whom have I in heaven but you? None on earth I desire beside you. Thank you for the goodness of the Lord. Pray for every person in this room. My heart longs for every person to experience the love of God in the Holy Spirit and to know you personally. I trust you for that. May Jesus be glorified in everything we do and say forever till we see you face to face. Thank you that when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that'll be, and we will forever enjoy you for all of eternity, the desire of our hearts. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray, amen.